Hello, this is your fertility pharmacist. This podcast is for women who are trying to overcome infertility. If you keep a pulse on late-breaking fertility research, it could positively alter the course of your fertility journey like it has for me. Today's episode is about a study that was published in the Journal of Assisted Reproduction and Genetics. It came out in March 2020 when most of us were reading other news. In the past week, the study caught my eye for a few reasons. First, it's about trying to improve frozen embryo transfer, which is a topic that holds personal interest. Second, it was done recently in New York City. I like that the timeline of the study is recent because the fertility field has been advancing very quickly. Third, the study was pretty open to who could join it. Women with endometriosis, PCOS, male factor infertility, you name it, they were allowed in. Age wasn't a limiting factor either. Thus, this study had the potential to be applicable to many women who hope or plan to use frozen embryo transfer. Of note, this cycle focused on natural cycle frozen embryo transfers. This means that the women who were preparing to have an embryo transfer did not take hormones like estrogen or progesterone in the days leading up to the transfer. In women who have normal hormone cycles with menstruation, a couple of recent studies, which I'm posting online, have shown that the natural cycle has higher rates of embryo implantation to the endometrium, which is a key early step in a healthy pregnancy. According to today's study, the cycle would still be considered natural if the woman takes hormonal drugs after the luteinizing hormone surge that indicates ovulation. Supplementing the embryo transfer with progesterone in the vagina is pretty standard, but giving HCG is not. It's far from common to give HCG with frozen embryo transfer, but thinking about it, it makes sense to give it a shot. Did you catch my amazing joke right there? HCG, aka human chorionic gonadotropin, is the hormone a woman starts producing after implantation. Since the embryo is being transferred in, it seems reasonable to try an HCG boost to help a woman have this key hormone in place to welcome that embryo in. Keeping this background in mind, let's move on to the study itself. The authors were reproductive endocrinologists in New York City, and one of the authors, Dr. Zev Rosenwachs, had been giving his patients HCG in the luteal phase of natural frozen embryo cycles after the luteinizing hormone surge had occurred. He believed this HCG boost produced an uptick in pregnancy rates. While having one doctor say this is a good thing might mean something, the significance of his personal endorsement would mean even more if it was backed up by a clinical trial. So, Dr. Rosenwachs and two others recruited a bunch of female volunteers and put a study together. The main hypothesis of this study was, will adding one intramuscular dose of HCG to vaginal progesterone after the luteinizing hormone surge, will this produce an increase in ongoing pregnancy rates within a frozen embryo transfer cycle done naturally? Another way of thinking about this hypothesis was, will one booster dose of HCG improve the standard protocol for a natural frozen embryo transfer? To test this hypothesis, they recruited women from the time periods of January 2017 until December 2018. They picked this time period because their fertility center had started using the most up-to-date version of genetic testing out there called PGTA. The long name of PGTA, for those of you who are curious, is Preimplantation Genetic Testing for Aneuploides. Wow. I've posted links to tell you more about it online, but the gist of it is Doing this test helps to determine if the embryo being transferred has a normal number of chromosomes. 
to be in this study, a woman needed to have one embryo with the correct number of chromosomes available to transfer and had to be ready and willing to do a natural frozen embryo transfer. Women were excluded from the study if they were taking hormones before implantation because then it wouldn't be considered natural or if they had a history of uterine factor infertility or if they needed to have surgery for tubal disease. All women in the study underwent ovarian hyperstimulation and oocyte maturation. The protocols they followed and the meds they used varied based on the patient. More details about the drugs used are on the webpage for this episode. On retrieval day, all viable oocytes were mixed with sperm via intracytoplasmic sperm injection, for short, known as ICSI. They used ICSI in order to do the genetic testing of BGTA that I mentioned before. Whether or not ICSI needs to be used to do this would merit its own podcast episode, but that's what they used, so let's roll with it. They biopsied the embryos on days 5 to 6 and rated them as excellent, good, average, or poor, with the woman's top embryo getting selected for transfer. On the same day as the embryo biopsy, any and all viable embryos were frozen. Moving away from the embryos and back to the ladies in this study, they were separated into two groups based on the reproductive endocrinologist's discretion. So this was not a randomized controlled trial. Group A had 146 women who received one booster dose of HCG the day after their luteinizing hormone surge. The dose of HCG was not consistent. It was also decided based on the doctor's preference, with a tendency to give higher doses of HCG to those with a higher BMI. In Group B, there were 383 women, and they did not get the HCG booster. After the transfer of the top embryo, all the women in both groups were taking vaginal progesterone. Ten days after the transfer, the women were tested for pregnancy, which was confirmed again 48 hours later, and then again 5.5 weeks later. At 8 to 10 weeks of pregnancy, the women were transferred out of the fertility center to continue their pregnancy care elsewhere. Okay, it's results time. Of those 529 frozen embryo cycles done naturally, the ongoing pregnancy rates were found to be higher in Group A versus Group B. 69.9% of group A's pregnancies were considered normal and continued beyond the first trimester versus 57.4% of pregnancies in group B. So 69.9 to 57.4. There was not a relationship found between the specific dose of HCG used and whether or not a pregnancy continued. The rates of miscarriage and biochemical pregnancy loss were similar in both groups. Not shocking, but they found that higher quality embryos were associated with better pregnancy results. Group B had more average quality embryos in it than Group A did, but this was not a statistically significant difference. And by the way, if you're curious about statistics used in the results, they're posted on the webpage. Overall, the results from these two studies are different from two other recent studies that also had used an HCG booster in the luteal phase. The two studies that came before this one did not use PGTA testing to test the embryo's chromosomes beforehand. And those studies used more than one dose of HCG without any vaginal progesterone. So those two studies were not set up the same way as the study we've been talking about. From all of this, the authors concluded that their results made sense, that the HCG booster might be mimicking how HCG works during a natural fertilization. From this pharmacist's perspective, however, the study raises more questions than answers. The medication doses were so variable for stimulation, for triggering, and the HCG booster itself. How did these variations impact the results? 
what would the results look like if the HCG doses had been standardized based on BMI and or infertility diagnosis. Also, they required the use of ICSI to produce embryos, which seems like a limitation. Is ICSI really required to produce the same results? Lastly, there were almost a statistically higher number of average embryos from group B. Was this higher number of average embryos clinically significant? If yes, it would have contributed to the poor results in group B. Well, these are some of my questions, and at this point, I'm not sure I would recommend that HCG booster. As mentioned a minute ago, those other studies found different results from this study, but the study setups were different. So it's going to take more studies similar to this one to make me feel good about overtly recommending this. To feel anything but nervous doing the HCG boost after a natural cycle of frozen embryo transfer, I think you need to gain the support of your reproductive endocrinologist to follow the exact same protocol. My overall take is this was an interesting study. They included many kinds of infertility as part of the study, and it adds to our knowledge base. But I'm not sure we should be changing frozen embryo transfer protocols just yet. That marks the end of today's study. Thank you for sticking with me. I went down a rabbit hole of research on this one, and so there are a ton of those rabbit hole links online in the resource section for this episode at www.yourfertilitypharmacist.com. This is Your Fertility Pharmacist. Thanks for tuning in. 